When I came out here, one of the things that I wanted to do when we started up the show, Indian Time, I started up with uh, Ernest Webb and uh, Cree from Chisassabee and uh, Catherine Bainbridge. It's actually a Caucasian girl from Toronto. When we started up Indian Time, one of the reasons why we started it was because of all the influences that we had from the outside societies, the dominant societies here in Canada and Quebec, that was coming into our communities and was influencing us in different ways. We wanted to do a show where we were uh, off the res, in-your-face Indians, and try to reverse that flow a little bit to show you what we were really like, you know? Yes, we do the drumming, we do regalia, we have our traditions, we believe in the land, but there is so much more than that to us. And so we tried to bring that out. And of course, while we were doing all this, all hell broke loose. Oka started, and things just seemed to be escalating. And I remember when it first started, a friend of mine came to me and said, we, we have to do something. You know, they've cut off the food supplies and that. And so uh, my brother, Hayden, and me, we went and we actually seen someone who was an Italian, and uh, he owned a food store, and he was willing to actually give us food to bring over, and it turned out it wasn't, people basically didn't think it was needed at that time. They thought it was going to be over within a few weeks. We know those few weeks stretched out into a lot more. And, of course, we started covering some of those stories on Indian time. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing it in some ways. And in some ways, we were horrified by some of the stories we heard, too. Whenever we did things on there, we always tried to start off with some sort of a, a skit in the beginning where it would show the focus of what we were going to be doing on that show or the focus of if we were bringing a special guest to speak on that show. I remember one of the shows that actually sort of led to us not doing Indian Time so much, it eventually led to the death of it, was one of the shows we started off and we did a skit about torture. And then we went in and during the show we interviewed a guy who had said he was tortured by the uh, SQ. And uh, he talked about getting burnt with cigarettes on his chest and his stomach and one of the officers coming and squeezing and turning his privates until he passed out. That sort of thing is very hard to do. When we did it, after we got a phone call, a phone call that was made to CKUT, it's a French male who protested that our show was promoting hatred and racism towards police officers. Which I found sort of funny in one way because police officers aren't exactly a race. <laughs> you know, so it's a little bit hard to do that, do the racism thing. The hatred, you could say that, but at the same time you've got to bring out things like torture. And you've got to put them out there and not be afraid to approach that sort of thing. But turned out that the station didn't like it so much and we got in a bit of trouble. 
But the thing is, we told people at the station, we said our agreement was when we first came in here, we don't want to be doing a stereotypical Indian show. We want to show you what we are. We want to show you all aspects of Native life. And that included a very dark sense of humor at times. Because living a Native life sometimes is very dark. And you have a choice. You can sometimes cry. You can let it wear you down. Or you can find some way to laugh at it. You know, other things that we did during the show, during the time Whiskey Trench was happening and uh, the cars got stoned and that, we got someone who was French and uh, they phoned up and they phoned the police and they acted very concerned about what would be happening to the poor guys who got arrested for starting the rock throwing. We were assured by the police officer that was talking to the person that not to worry. They wouldn't do any jail time or that. And later on we found out, yeah, that was exactly what happened. The biggest fine was $500 and some community work. The reason why you only got that was basically because if he had had to spend any jail time or that, that would interfere with his job. person died. One of the old men had a heart attack during the stoning. And these were people that were fleeing essentially a war zone. We reported on that. And we reported what the police had told us. And then we verified it later on when those things came down. That wasn't what mainstream media was doing. I mean, mainstream media, all you heard on there was the government side because they weren't allowing journalists behind the lines as much anymore. And all you heard was terrorists. Nobody was convicted. Nobody had gone out and bombed anything. There was no natives running around shooting up any place. But all of a sudden, the Mohawks were terrorists. They blocked Mercier Bridge. Well, a little problem with that blocking of Mercier Bridge was... A lot of people in Montreal didn't know at the time, but Mercier Bridge would have been blocked anyhow. You see, they had to fix the bridge. <laughs> and all during the blockade of the bridge, they were fixing it. <laughs> so all those people from Shadowgate that were upset with the Native people and that, they would have been upset at the government. So this was convenient for the government to, oh, it's the Natives doing it. That was sort of the difference. We brought out those type of stories, whereas mainstream media didn't bring out those type of stories. They didn't bring out the stories. They brought out a little bit of how UN observers weren't being allowed in and that. But those were pretty minor compared to the amount of outrage that was going on. The amount of arrests that were concerned with Natives versus non-natives basically showed the blatant favoritism of police at that time. Burning an effigy in Canada is illegal. 
Yet it was shown on national television, a warrior being burnt by a bunch of shadow gay residents. And they tore up pavement during a riot. And the police were frankly caught between <laughs> Mohawk warriors on one side and the shadow gay rioters on the other side. Caught in the middle, no place to go. There was no real arrest made during that. And I remember going down, there was supposed to be a co-protest in front of Hydro-Quebec. And this was something I was going to cover for Indian time and have a little fun doing it. And uh, I got there and uh, I went, oh, I'm on the wrong side. Because it was all people who were protesting natives. So I went on to the other side. And I seen some more Mutsi Mohawk, Mutsi Savage signs. And I came back over and I went and seen some journalists and I said, what happened here? And it turned out the anti-native people drove out the native supporters and the natives. And of course nothing was done. And then they had the classic, seemed like out of the 1950s Stalinist thing where they started bringing all these heavy earth movers and big trucks and whatnot. And they brought this one, and it was a flatbed, and it had this big telescoping arm on it, and at the top of it was a four-clamp thing. And this guy got up and he started talking, and he said, you see this? And he held up a red windbreaker. And he said, in French, I can't say it anymore, but it's basically, this is a skin of one of those savages, a red skin. And he threw it down on the flatbed, and he stepped back. And this thing just dropped. Wow! Right into the truck, gripped it, and brought it up. And people were screaming and howling. Not in outrage. They were all for it. I think that was about the most freaked out I had ever been. You know? Inuits were getting beaten up on the streets of Montreal. They weren't even Indians. And they were in there. And at that point, you start going a little upset. <laughs> Put it mildly. And a little bit crazy. So uh, I got out a uh, Mohawk Warriors long sleeve shirt. It said Warriors on the side and Mohawk flag. And I went into a couple of French bars I knew. And walked in and, uh, Will, c'est toi un warrior? And I went, no, no, it's the settlement jersey de baseball. <laughs> that's what I meant about dark humor you had to use it otherwise you had to lose it has it really changed a bit I've been called out by Montreal Urban Police a couple of times to deal with other crees I see some other changes 
But then, in other places, I don't see those changes. I know in Valdor, the police had a habit of if you're drunk and you're native and you're out and it's after hours that sometimes you get picked up and get beaten up. We all know what's happened out west with people being dropped off out of town, things like that. We all know that there's a lot of native women who, for one reason or another, turned to prostitution or that, have gone missing. Nobody's ever seen him again. I worry if Stephen Harper gets in power with their attitude towards natives, thinking that we live on some sort of South Seas Islands or whatever. When the whole thing was over, Oka was over, the armed forces had an inquiry and I was uh, subpoenaed to go to it. And I answered questions as best as I could. One of the questions they asked me was, how do we prevent this from happening again? I said, I can give you something very simple. Very simple to start off with. But I know you guys won't do it. I said, what we have to do, as I said, people who are middle-aged and older, their minds are a little bit more rigid at times. And it's harder to change their way of thinking sometimes. We have to start when they're younger. And I said, and you can't do it just for Native people. You've got to do it for everybody because you've got to change that whole mentality of us versus them, of racism and that. You've got to take at least five different people. Someone who's black, someone who's Indian, someone who's Asiatic, someone who's English, someone who's French, and send them around to the schools and have them talk to students. You see, because there is one thing that's important here. And there is one reason why these sorts of things happen. It's harder to do something against someone you know. But it's really easy to dehumanize someone you don't. And to make them something that they aren't. And that was what was done during the crisis. And that is what we see every now and then. What would I say good came out of it? The response of people from across Canada, especially Native people, they came out in support of it, in support of the Mohawks. And there was a lot of pride that happened. Some of it you've seen in Montreal when they talked about the guys who smuggled food over. I knew some of those guys. There's Gilles, called him the Indian Conan, but he earned another name during that time period. He earned the name of the Sausage King. It's because, uh, have you ever seen those movies, uh, Western movies, where they've got the Mexican bandits and they've got the two bandoliers of shells across? Well, that's how he used to drape the sausages, go across there and around the waist. It's because he could run faster with it, and if he had to get down and go along the ground, he could go with that could go really fast but he took a bunch of guys and you see sometimes you feel helpless and you feel hopeless because of all the things that happen and some people turn to drugs and some people turn to alcohol and that well he told all these guys who wanted to help him out and run the food 
You have to quit the drugs. You have to quit the alcohol while you're doing this. And they all did. And they all stayed clean. Because they had a purpose in life. And they knew what they were doing was good for the people. And good for a way of life. Today, I'd have to say it's... uh, I own my own paper now. Some of you know it, The Nation. And... uh, We started in 1993. Do you know we're one of the oldest Aboriginal papers in Canada? (laughs) Which is pretty funny and pretty sad. We should have a lot more media outlets because I could fill my paper up twice over if I had the advertisers. It would not be a problem with so many stories and not just stories that affect my own communities, the Cree communities, but all communities. There's so much out there and it's not being covered by mainstream media and that's one of the main problems and that's why I have a feeling with the attitudes that are going on today the Oka crisis is being forgotten in some ways and I have a feeling that sooner or later we're going to be seeing another one because the lessons haven't been learned not by Canada at least I think they've been learned by natives, so. Miigwech, and thank you. said no more it's like the uh, Batistas I believe they say basta basta well we said no more and it was a small group of people but it was our spirit and our strength within ourselves where we formed it was like we just became one big unit but we were not. We were very small. And after we were attacked, uh, other the other two Mohawk communities, nations across what is known today as Canada, and also the Americas, um, started uh, really standing up again. I'd like to also acknowledge the reason why I asked for it to be in Montreal is because I'd like to acknowledge the Native and Inuit community of Montreal who contributed their support during those tough months, not just with the support of food or clothing, 
but sometimes these individuals suffered at the hands of bigots and racists in Montreal. And as uh, the elder John used to say, too bad racism doesn't have a cure for that disease. Maybe they'll find something. Now I'm going to speak from the heart. <clears throat> well, that was the heart, too. It's just it was written down earlier. <laughs> 1990. I believe my daughter was 13. And we were doing a tobacco burning that morning. There were a lot of young girls around with us because we just celebrated my brother's birthday and Another individual the night before, it was their birthday, so we had cake for them. So we all slept in the pines. And we all were woken up real early before sunrise to do the tobacco burning. As I was standing there, all of a sudden the animals were talking to me. They said, look up, look up. The squirrels kept going back, look up, look up. So I look up, and they kept telling me something. So finally I looked straight, and there they were, the panel trucks. And I think I'm quoted in a couple of books as saying, holy fuck, they're here. That's true, they were there. I think the hardest part of that morning was... Um, having to tell my daughter and daughters of other women that were there to stop crying. We were about as closer than where I'm standing to the drum group, closer to the police, I think, as far as the camera, where they had the weapons and uh, they cocked it and pointed at my my daughter and everyone else. And they were crying, they were crying. And the hardest thing that morning was to tell them to stop crying. Because I didn't want to make the police officers more nervous to end up shooting them. And today I, I regret that because how many of those young people are still not crying? How many have not taken back their tears? I don't know. I can only speak for my daughter. <laughs> there were so many young individuals. Uh, one of them is here. He's a cook and good friend. So he's got a very good, lovable spirit. It's the youth that were there that morning that's going to make change in my community because they had the spirit. They had the strength. They had the conviction for Mother Earth, the respect. Drug and alcohol were not allowed near the tobacco. They know it's not even allowed near the drum. You're not even allowed to use it. 
If you use, you don't touch the drum. They knew that. They learned all these things during that time. I think the hardest thing was when the army moved in and they uh, separated the small community that we had formed, peaceful community where we all got along, we all loved each other, we looked out for each other because we didn't have other elements creating division. It was a peaceful place, unlike today. And if I reflect on that, and I do that a lot, it's I was looking at not only my own situation of how many separations I've had, I've talked to journalists, I said, how are they dealing with the post-traumatic stress from 1990? Some of them were put right back to work. They went to Kuwait with the army, you know. They weren't even supported by their employers about PTSD. The policemen, I often wonder about them. You hear so much about police officers having domestic violence. I wonder, you know, I think about that and I think about the journalists, I think about, you know, the policemen. And for me to think about the policemen is kind of funny considering they tried to kill us in 1990. And my brother was shot in the back by a police officer. It's ironic, eh? He died three years later after that shot. There's been a lot of losses, even in the small group of people that were there. We've lost so many, as Marie had said, I think, on one of the tapes. We've lost so many, um, but we've gained so many. I mean, I have five grandchildren. I have two children, five grandchildren, so I've, uh, the nation's getting built. And that small group of people, they're building a nation. Jimmy, you have, how many do you have? <laughs> he doesn't know, he can't remember. His wife is sitting there. <laughs> but I don't want to look back on 90 with a lot of hate. I've worked too hard to, to not hate those police officers. They were doing a job. They were dressed in a green uniform. The same as those police officers who shot my brother. According to them, they were doing a job. I can feel anger, but I don't want to feel the hate. I don't have time for that. Life is too short. Life is too short. And like John said, I'm a proud person. He's proud. That's what's going to get us through today. 1990 for me was not about the land. 1990 was survival. Survival of who we are as a people. Survival as a traditional person as who we are as a people. That's why I was there. I wasn't there for the land. I was there as a survival 
as who I am as a person and as a traditional person because not only the government was taking away my rights as a traditional person, but even our own governments in the communities, bank councils, because they're only an arm of Indian Affairs. And that system was destroying our people. Still is today. All I hope for is, if anything, that you continue to look at each other with love and respect. And if you have an argument with your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, anyone, you try and resolve it right away. Do not carry it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. We have to get past that. We have to get past putting ourselves down as a people or as an individual. We have to get past that. And we have to stand up with strength and conviction as to who we are. Because we can survive anything. And the reason why I asked for the the opening and everything to be brought here in Montreal is we've had it in Ganesadaga. We've had it in Ganawaga. It's time now to renew the fire here in Montreal. It's time for the people here in Montreal to get back your spirit and to join us. And that's why I've asked for the fire to be brought here. 1990 meant something for me. It may mean something different for you, but for the people, it doesn't matter what color of skin you are. This is for you. That's my gift back after having my life given back in 90. This is my gift back. Now, 